Episode 92 of Eventually Super Train. Welcome everyone, I am Dan, I'm your main host of this short-lived TV show podcast. We cover short-lived TV shows, shows that never got enough love. We go three shows at a time, episode by episode, eventually we will cover Super Train. And at this point... 92. We're getting near 100. I don't know what that means, but it's fun. Uh, in episode 92, we are covering... What are we covering? We are covering... My friend, uh, podcaster Tim Turner and myself are covering episode 7 of Rex Stout's Nero Wolf from 1981. I am covering episode 11 of Shadow Chasers, which would have aired in 1986, but it... We'll talk about that, but but in the vicinity of 85, late 85, early 86, and the great Kristen Hawes, author and podcaster, and I will be discussing episode 3 of Auto Man from December of 83, I believe. So we're pretty heavy into this time in the 80s. I apologize to anyone who wants us to branch out more. It just happens this way sometimes. So let us all take a deep breath, and then we will dive right into... Nero Wolf. Here we go. Nero Wolf, episode seven. Rex Stout's Nero Wolf, episode seven. In the Best Families, directed by George McGowan, teleplay Alfred Hayes, uh, aired March 6, 1981, based on the Nero Wolf. Novel written by Rex Stout. And this one, there's a lot going on since it's based on a novel. I'll keep it simple. It begins with a tear gas bomb being delivered to the brownstone. Oh boy. And then a woman and her brother, her someone or other, shows up there and they have like um, a beautiful mansion out in the middle of somewhere and they want to hire Wolf on with Archie to investigate the woman's husband who is younger and who seems to have a strange source of income that they can't tie down they think it might be something shady um, possibly involving gangsters Archie goes to investigate and after an evening of investigating the woman uh, the wife is killed and there is a dog involved because uh, they have dogs and, and such and uh, the the jerk um, guy the husband may or may not be involved when Archie returns to the brownstone Wolf has left He's gone. He said he's giving up being a detective, and he's just gone. In the novel, it's more elaborate, but in this, in in the episode, it's it's basically, it's it's there is a gangster involved, and I, I won't go too far into because I will talk about, but there is a gangster involved, and it may or may not have something to do with the killing, and Wolf has gone into hiding at a local restaurant to make the gangster think that he is not in, uh, no longer involved and he's kind of run away so this gangster can do what he needs to do possibly involving the murder to cause more trouble possibly involving the jerk husband mm, I won't I, I won't say more. I'll just leave it at that I'll just leave it at that there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this there's a murder there's some gangsters wolf goes missing there's a tear gas thing this that and the other uh, Tim and I are going to talk about it right after this <laughs> And this one, yeah, there are dogs, and there's 
chicanery and there's all sorts of stuff going on in this one. But I'm gonna I'm gonna bring on board someone you know, you love, you talk about all the time. I know I've read your emails. You say, Why can't he be on more? And I say, He's on right now. Tim S. Turner. Tim, how are you, sir? <laughs> well, I love chicanery. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> um, what? Well, let let me um, well, let's just dive right in. Let's let's dive right in. Uh, what what did you think of um this episode? Well, I gotta say, it it kind of, I thought it started out kind of slow, and, and again, yet another attack on the brownstone. Um, but I, by the end of it, I really enjoyed it, and it it got very dark at the end of this one. Yes. Yes, I am. Um, it's it, it it's a slightly weird one because um, so so in the opening credits when it shows the uh, the writing credit and the um, directing credit, there's no mention of Rex Stout. But in the closing credits, it mentions that it's based on a novel. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I read this. Um, so it it's a bit, I don't richer isn't quite the word, but it's a bit thicker. Might might that be right? There's a lot going on yeah. in the episode. There's a lot of stuff happening, and. <clears throat> It's weird. It's one of those episodes where um, I I enjoyed it. I think my favorite scene is the closing scene when Wolf, as opposed to the last time where I complained that when we got to the closing scene where Wolf assembles everyone, I thought it was sort of extraneous. It's kind of like, eh, why, why are we doing this? This one, it, I think it works really nice. And there is kind of a a sadness and a darkness to it. Yeah, and um, the killer, I mean like when you see when he when he's basically confronted with his deeds and everything, he really kind of loses it. And, and and the way they do it, they, the camera lingers on him and his face and kind of slowly, yes. you know, zooms in on his face and I think it's a pretty good performance actually. I I think yeah, both both um uh William Conrad and and the the um the the person who you know, does the bad thing. They they get a really nice moment because he the the he or she maybe uh the it's a he we gave that away um the uh, it is sort of facing the camera and and Wolf is kind of behind him yeah saying what's going on and it's really nicely done. It's I I think it's a really nice sort of closing scene and even Wolf is affected by yes what this person has done to do what he did and and that's really nice i um i i i i do think that this episode might have been uh better if it was a little longer i agree yeah there there are a few too many things going on in it um and you don't always fully get um because there's a moment where like maybe 10 minutes in where archie is sent to like an estate in westchester Mm -hmm. and he meets all these people and it's the sort of thing where if this were like one of the longer episodes of like poirot or something you take like a half an hour or more to get to know everyone and to get to know the lay of the land but you don't have that time here so, so you kind of get everything goes quick and quick and quick, and you meet all these characters, and it's fast, and then there's a murder, and it's like, oh wow! I would have, I would have really liked. I, I think it's a, it's a good episode, much better than the last one. It yes. stuck with me much more than the last one. But I also think that, possibly like the Golden Spiders at the start of the series, it would have been better if they had tried to. I mean, 
I mean, maybe that could have been a thing with the show. They could have made it more, you know, given it more like two-part stories to, like, bring people back kind of thing. Maybe that might have worked better. You know, because you're up against Dukes of Hazard, right? I, I think we're up against Dukes of Hazard, right, with Nero? Is that right? I don't know. Um, yeah. That sounds right. Yes, okay, good. All right, I thought so. I believe so, but, yeah. But, At the but height of like popularity, Dukes- yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Dukes is coming in, and the Duke boys are doing whatever dumb stuff it is they do, remembering that I loved it as a kid. But they're doing whatever dumb stuff that is they do. And and so I'm, I'm wondering if might it have worked better if, like, this and the Golden Spiders, if they'd been, like, two-parters. And if it had been a show where it was like, oh, Nero Wolf, that's the show that does the two-part stories. You know, and the and and does a more extended kind of thing, and because well, you know what, also it might have been good uh, if you know what this would have worked really well on is if they had had Nero Wolf as one of the the NBC mystery movie. Mm, yeah. So they could have had like the ninety minute or the two hour episodes. Yes, that would have been great. Yeah, if it would have been like alongside McCloud, McMillan, a bit a little more Columbo expansive. Than it. Yes. Yeah, because I think I think that's that's my issue Banished with the episode. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, um, uh, heck, Ramsey. Um, and uh, uh, um, uh, what's the, what's the one? The Snoop Sisters. Yeah, the Snoop Sisters. The Snoop Sisters. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, I'm a big I Heck think, Ramsey guy myself. I do I do enjoy Heck Ramsey. Yeah, I do quite like Heck Ramsey. Yeah, I I've only seen I have all the episodes, but I've only watched the first season of them. Like the first, is it six or five? I forget. But I quite like the Heck Ramseys I've seen. It's really a shame that the, that the show ended, because uh, I thought it was a damn good show actually. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really it's really clever. It's well written, and yeah. it's sort of. It's, it's like it's, Quincy it, in the Old West. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's like it's taking yeah it's taking the like it's the mid seventies and it's taking the Western shows that so many people had watched over the past twenty odd years on American television and it's putting them in the context of Columbo and McMillan Wife and and you know Quincy which would be a year or so after you know and it's putting them in the context of these which is really great and we'll do our heck ramsey cast yes heck the heck cast <laughs> yeah uh, but, but uh, yeah heck ramsey. and yeah i, th- I think i i agree with you. i would have loved if they had done a nero uh wolf in the in the mystery movies and the great thing about that too is like like with columbo is like you know some some of the episodes are made for ninety minutes. I mean, like one of my all time favorites, playback is a playback. Oh with, God, um, yes, Gina yes. Rollins, Oscar Werner. Yes, yes, which is one of my all time favorites. That's a perfect ninety minute episode. I agree. But That's then, one of uh, my favorites. Yeah. Others you need uh, you need the two hours. I mean, I think like the um, the one with um, is it a friend indeed. Richard the, Kiley. The, yes, I think that's that. You need two hours for that one. Yes. There are a few, uh, and I just had another one. Oh, the Donald Pleasance one. I think that mm. one it uses the two hours beautifully. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, the thing with the mystery movies that are so gorgeous is that like you had your choice of what your episode length could be, and they had and, bigger budgets too. Yeah, and they, yes, because yeah, exactly. So. I like the episode. I don't. I don't love it, but I like it. I think the ending is great. I think there are a lot of great moments in it. I um. I, I, I just think. I I just think my 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 issue with it is yeah that when they send Archie to this huge estate, 
you feel like there should be more time spent there and it's all very very quick i think too quick to yeah sort of it's make a lot its, of stuff to point. cram in there like with the with the yes. gangsters and yeah oh, and, it, and and can, can i ask so i'm not sure what your thoughts are on bird to benning what do you think of bird to benning well, first of all, the the first thing I rem- well the only thing I remember remember him from you know is of course Incredible Melting Man. Incredible Melting Man, yes, yes. Doctor Ted Nelson, yes, uh, which is which we know because he repeats it over and over. <laughs> it's me, Doctor Ted Nelson. Yes, yes. Um, but he, yeah, the thing that's funny is his character in this is he's kind of um, the great Robert Loja. Uh, his his uh, kind of his little thug, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, Max Christie, and mm-hmm. he is so over the top with the way he plays that character. Yes, what is it? Is it like wow? Yeah, yeah. Please continue. You know, well, he's like, it, it, like there's a scene with him and Archie where they meet in a restaurant, or, or is, is it a restaurant or a bar? I don't know. Uh, I say restaurant, I guess. I think restaurant. Because, like, the waitress is wearing, like, a Playboy bunny kind of short skirt, you know, bustier thing. And he, the entire scene, when he's talking to Archie, he's licking his lips. And and, and his eyes are darting back and forth. And I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, I, I think he's stoned. (laughs) <laughs> oh my! That was gonna. I was. I was. I was say. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, because there are a couple moments where it's like I was thinking. I've been. I've been. Um, over over the past few weeks, I've been rewatching the Bowery Boys movies. Oh, I love and, it. And in the last Bowery Boys movie, which is oh, I'm sorry, not the last one. Um, the last one with Leo Gorsi is uh, Crashing Las, Las Vegas. Vegas. Oh, and he's smashed in that. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. His dad. <clears throat> was in a car accident and was killed right. in between that film and the previous one. Was that Jungle and Gents? It was um, uh, Dig the Ur- Dig, Dig that, that Uranium. Uranium. Yeah. Yes, and and so you watch, you start to watch Crashing Las Vegas, and and um, Slip is out there doing his thing, getting words wrong and everything, but <laughs> and he's fine, but then once he hits Vegas. Like and I put Vegas in quotes because it was the same monogram e back lot that they were on making all forty eight of the movies. Sure. Um, but but once they get to like the hotel rooms and everything, like watch him in some of those scenes. Like there's a scene where he and two other of the boys, I I think like Satch is hidden in like a closet in one scene because he thinks he's killed someone. And then, like, so Slip and two of the Bowery Boys walk in from the left side of the screen. And, like, the two the two other guys, I, I never really learned the names of the other Bowery Boys. I'm sorry. At that point, um, I don't think – I think Whitey was gone by then, right? Whitey was gone, yes. Um, and the, the other two Bowery Boys are kind of, like, walking in. But, like, Leo Gorsi is like – he's like, hey, oh, hey, I'm looking over here. Hey, what's going on? And it's like, whoa, hey, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. and, then, and, then, and then when you watch, like – so many of the scenes he's in in the Vegas scenes he's like he's clearly as they as you can find online he was having alcohol troubles oh yeah and he was clearly that was his last movie for the series and he was having a, a trouble dealing with the death of his dad and he was drunk and so there are scenes where like like he's he's working with Hunts Hall where Hunts is looks as you know you know you know sober as a judge 
where where Leo's like, well, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, and Hunts Hall's looking at him like, and and Hunts is like doing his Satch thing, which is kind of wacky to begin with, and it's like you almost get the feeling he's like, what do I do? Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> how do I how do I respond there's a couple of scenes in that casino where uh, you can see there's actually if you have uh, there's a great book on the the bowery boys series i forget the author's name i need it uh i have it i'd have to look over here on my (laughs) shelf and dig it out um and there's a scene it's it's in the casino and it's a shot of satch and slip and they're sitting there and, and 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 uh gorsi is leaning against the the table with the roulette wheel and he you, you could just smell the alcohol through the picture. Wow! <laughs> I mean, he okay. just looks at completely gone. He, you you can if you if you look for it the moment it happens in the movie, you're like, oh wow, yep. because he's a he's a little louder and he's a little more um the if if you've watched like the first. I forget what number this is. This is like number 41 in the series, <laughs> but something like that. But if you watch, you can tell the body language is wrong. Mm-hmm. When you see him, and there's no reason for it to be wrong, so you know that something is off, and it's sad. Um, but he, you know, he he did okay. You know, he, you know, he. I, I, although he didn't let the the Beatles use his image on Sergeant Pepper's, if I remember correctly, right. Um, but um, yeah, it's so. So the reason why I say all this, folks. Hey guys, your Bowery Boys <laughs> cast, which will be forty-eight episodes long, and it'll be Tim and I talking about all forty-eight Bowery Boys. And we, I guess we could do East End Kids and things like that too, or East Side Kids. Are, are we leaving that. out the Stanley Clements episode uh, movies or? I, you know what? If we're gonna do it, we're gonna cover everything. We're doing the whole thing, we're, damn it! We're gonna, we're gonna go all the way, um, uh, because actually, right before we started recording this, I watched "Hold That Hypnotist." Yes, which, which is fun because the hypnotist is played by the guy from Green Acres who owned the phone company. Is it? I forget his name. Oh he owned God. the phone company before, and he was like Oliver's nemesis on Green Acres. Yeah. Who? But, but Oliver didn't require a nemesis. He was just a guy who hated Oliver and used to yell at him all the time. <laughs> and and um, but so so let's get back to <laughs> let's get back to um, so so that the thing with Berta Benning is what reminded me what what I saw when I watched Berta Benning's performance in this is I thought of the Leo Gorsi performance because oh, yeah, there are moments yeah. in, in this where he's like he is either like going like Nicolas Cage crazy. Yeah, or or he's had a couple, and it could be either. I don't know. You know, you work hard. I mean, I know Berta Benning from a bunch of stuff. Obviously, Incredible Melting Man. He is in a fun segment of the anthology film House of the Dead from mm. the end of the seventies, also known as Alien Zone. Yes, a uh, Vinegar Syndrome put it out. It's at, uh, on Blu-ray. It's actually a um, um, well, it's not found footage, but it's a POV segment where. Basically, he's a serial killer who sets up a camera in the corner of his apartment. Oh wow! He brings in he brings in women, and he kills them. But it's kind of I, I I'm sorry to say it's kind of comedic. It's kind of silly, <laughs> um, and and you you think no Dan that's horrible. Nah, watch it. You'll you'll see it. How dare it's kind you? Of just yeah, exactly. It's kind of a it's kind of a silly uh, thing, but it's basically like it it begins with him like like the camera is like up in the corner 
the whole time of a room. And it begins with his, like, face in the camera going, okay, uh, she's coming over, she'll be here in a minute, da-da-da. And then he backs up, and you see, like, his apartment living room. And then she comes in, and he talks to her, and gradually he, like, sometimes he succeeds, sometimes he doesn't. He's trying to, like, strangle them and stuff. He's a serial killer. It's it's fun. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's Bird of Benning, and he's got a great name. Who could argue with that? Bird of Benning. So, um... Uh, so what what else do you have on this one? Well, uh, the name I brought up earlier, uh, the great Robert Loggia. Yes. Boy, is yes. he is he a good villain in this or what? He's so good. And he's, so good. he's, he's almost Bond two... villainy. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say he they, oh, they have him in a what looks like a cut rate Bond villain enclave, complete with steel door that slides open and shut when he pushes the little button on the floor with his foot and he even does the whole yes. turning around in the high back chair you know excellent I'm surprised he doesn't have like a cat or something did he did I miss it exactly like, that was, he really did come off like he was the, the next Bond villain uh, but made for TV you know yes uh, but he but he's he's very smooth he's he's uh he's got a real uh cool delivery and everything and it makes me kind of wish he was in the episode more yes yeah he gets he gets a couple good scenes and um uh yeah they yeah he's great when he shows up <laughs> uh, oh, also yeah, i was very surprised when when he showed up. i was like wait a minute is that get out of here what? <laughs> uh also one other guy. Oh, by the way, the, the the heroine who I've never seen before in my life. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Is it Juanine Clay? I think so. Yeah, I I, I recognize her from something. Maybe like a Harry O or something. Yeah, I'm I can't sure figure it out. That. She looks familiar, but I I the name's not familiar at all. She's absolutely stunning. Um, yeah. But the name I wanted to bring up was Michael Lawrence. Now he's the attorney for uh, um uh who is it? Lyndon Childs. Uh, oh yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's only in the one scene when they all gather together in the brownstone at the end. And I was like, God, that voice is so familiar. What is he? I was like, and it turned out, oh, that's right. He's the AM Today host in Kentucky Fried Movie. Oh, that's right. And he's got such that's a distinctive right. voice, and he's got that jawline. Yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, Oh I my God, I nailed that, it. Huh? You know. Yes. Yes. That's fantastic. Oh, that's it's. I, I think I think overall it's it's a fun episode. I just think it's a little too too packed. Yeah, yeah. It um, could have done with an extra twenty to thirty minutes to it. And um, mm -hmm. but like we talked about earlier, the scene with the killer reveal at the end, to me that actually might be my favorite scene of any that we've seen so far. Oh, because possibly yeah. Because possibly, you've got yeah, the yeah. way. Nero describes the the killer killing the dog, yes. And then they show the guy's face, and he stands up, and he's got this, you know, thousand yard stare going. Yeah. As as Nero's talking, like you were saying, the way he staged it, he's in the background and he's describing how he killed the dog with the same blade that he killed the woman, and yes. and it's like, and it's really good. It's just, it's really good, like the moment where like the dog returns to him yes. and doesn't sort of trust him anymore, kind of thing. And it's just it's really, it's really nicely done. And it's it's kind of it's almost surprising because you can, well, if if you if you 
obviously if you paid attention to the episode as we have, yeah. uh, you you kind of would imagine this would be sort of the ending. You you knew the dog would be involved somehow, but it's it's almost it's it's almost like wow that's I, I wish there that's sort of the point where I wish there had been more before that right because I really love that moment but I thought boy if you had really sort of gone into it a bit more just the characters a bit or given it that because you like I said you don't fully get the space that they're in in that that estate and things like that but it, yeah that ending I'm not going to argue with you yeah that ending is fantastic Berta Benning is. I don't want to be hauled up on libel, possibly sauced or stoned throughout the episode. <laughs> and Lee, Lee Horsley is is carrying the episodes, I think, yes. pretty darn well, even even when they're a little um, they're a little off here and there. Yeah, I, you know, and I think this is I've only read one Nero Wolf novel, but uh, oh, sure. from what I gather, it does seem like Goodwin is more the real star. Because you don't see as yes. much of Conrad or you know Nero Wolf yes. as you do of Archie, because Archie does all the footwork. Um, yes. But boy, whatever scene you get with Conrad, he delivers. He's, He's so there, good. That, and that so voice good. of yeah, his, yeah. Uh, that voice of his is just. Uh, I mean, there's a reason he was so great on radio with that voice. Yes. Yes, and uh, he really knows how to pitch it higher mm-hmm. or lower. And like we were talking about that final scene, the way he uses his voice when he's revealing the killer and what happened, everything so good, so great. So good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's um, yeah. It's and and I applaud Lee Horsley because he um, I I I, I every once in a while suddenly I see a mustache on him, and I <laughs> see him as Matt Houston, but I think he handles Archie. I think Timothy Hutton is a better Archie, but but I think Lee Horsley is is holding his own in this. And I I think if you want to sort of if if you want want a quick sort of fixes to um the uh the way sort of the uh, dynamic works, you might go to like the Hound of the Baskervilles, uh, the long sequence in that when Watson um goes to the Baskerville um estate. And Holmes isn't there, right? Technically, uh, the whole time. So there are like a whole bunch of chapters where it's just uh, Watson writing to Holmes, telling him what's going. That's sort of what it is. I mean, obviously Watson is not a detective, but but that's sort of the way it is. So like when Holmes shows up, it's like yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> like when the Hulk shows up, you know, in, in Incredible Hulk, he's like yeah, it's the Hulk kind of thing, you know. <laughs> so, um, so what what else do you have on this one? I think I am. I think I'm good. Uh, the only thing I can think about is that there was a couple of nice comedic moments uh, mm. when the the bomb is delivered at the beginning of it. They all oh we didn't talk about that yeah, yeah. The, the the bomb and the, the yeah cl- clearing Nero out of the house okay let's talk about that briefly well, yeah, please yeah it's like a it's actually it turns out it's like a it's tear gas or something mm-hmm. and they run down the hall to Nero's office and close the door and he's huffing and puffing and he says I'm not in the shape I used to be. <laughs> Which we all cracked saw, me up. We all saw Cannon. We know what shape he used to be. Exactly. He's been that way for quite some time. Um, and then later on, now Nero, of course, has been uh, – he's pretending to have been scared out of the brownstone. Yes, yes. And what he's really doing is he's holing up in this restaurant downtown, and he's pretending to be this new uh, chef. What is it, Anatole? 
I think. Yes, yes, Anselm. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and so when he turns around and Archie sees him, and he makes a comment, he's like, oh, I can see you, like, selling to, uh, spaghetti sauce. He's basically saying you look like Chef Boyardee. Yes. Which he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> yes, he does. It's a great, it's a lovely, it's a really lovely scene. Yeah. Because you know exactly who it is, you know, but it's like, it's a nice reveal, it's a nice line. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, since he can't fight uh, with Fritz, he, he has fights with the restaurant about using too much tarragon tarragon again yeah. <laughs> amateurs amateurs, amateurs every one of them <laughs> amateurs yeah that's a great yeah that's um uh yeah that, that's a great sort of run through it where where um uh wolf because he does that a couple of times in the novels where he has to vacate the brownstone right um i want to say there's one called the black mountain actually that one he might go back to his homeland um don't don't quote me on that but yeah there are there are a couple where he has to actually leave the brownstone but yeah this is one of those but and if it's based on a you know uh, from the credits if it's based on one this would be one of those where he left those although i did not actually go back to the novel to um check it out but um uh what what do, do you have anything else on this one or uh, i i i got one more thing the um the husband of the woman who gets killed is um yes. what word what word is my uh, is obsequious a word what word am I thinking of when I very rackham uh well he proves that any character wearing an ascot can be absolutely up to no good <laughs> yeah it, precisely yep yep he is just this kind of <laughs> g- kind of gross kind of character who's like I've spent my whole life living off the um. The, the, my charms and older women who marry me and look at my mustache and look at how good looking my I silk am. robes please please uh please goodwin i love it. it's always goodwin good, come on Goodwin. yes what's going on it's like yeah you can't call him archie why not, why not call him archie you know it's like you know he's he's done more honest day's work than you have sir please <laughs> i don't i don't care what your mustache is but um but yeah so yeah, there's 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 a lot of stuff in the episode. It is like like we said, it is it is based on it is based on one of the novels. So there's a ton of stuff happening, possibly too much stuff, but I think it's a good episode. Yeah, I think it's a good solid episode for the show. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, did you have anything else on this one, or if not, uh, uh, do you have anything else? I I do not. All right. So let's um. Where can we find you online? Well, you can find me and my co-host Kelly Hogaboom on our podcast Beauty the Beast and the Bees on SoundCloud and iTunes. We cover mostly uh, bee films. It's a lot of fun. Um, we also have the requisite Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter feeds, and our uh, website that you can visit. It's at bbnbs.net. And uh, I hope that uh, you guys will check us out. And I think I think you have because our numbers have actually gone up significantly since uh, I've been on your show, uh, Dan. Hey! Hooray! Yeah, I enjoy I I enjoy the show. So I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping some folks are going over there and listening. Um, so um, yeah, let's let's wrap this up. We um, there were some tangents, sure that happens, <laughs> but um, uh, I'm going to. Where are we going next? Oh yeah, we're we're we are still um, we are now uh, going back to Shadow Chasers Armed Forces Network. Where are we? You'll find out in a moment. Listen to this. Hey, danger! Secrets rule the dark. I need 
Shadow Chasers, Episode 11, Curse of the Full Moon, directed by Bob Sweeney, written by Marianne Kasika and Michael Sheff. No original air date. This aired on the Armed Forces Network, which is we are where we are where. I, 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 <laughs> this is kind of a werewolf episode, and uh, throughout it, we're, 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 is uh, there some interesting um, pronunciations at the front of that word, werewolf. Uh, but yes, this is... Um, Sort of a werewolf episode. Uh, let's. Uh, what begins with a couple in the woods, and they're in the camper, and wolves are howling, and they're kind of peering out. One of the guys looks like one of the cast members from not necessarily the news, and maybe he is. Darn it! I forgot to check the <laughs> the credits. And you know what? I don't want to check the credits because I'd like to say this is that guy from not necessarily the news. So shut up. And it's basically a couple looking out of their camper, Cherry and Dick, I'm kidding, but it's a couple looking out of the camper and they see something that makes them kind of gasp. And then we cut to Georgetown and Dr. Morehouse is lecturing uh, Dr. McKenzie on what the next Shadow Chasers assignment is. Over the years, rumors of werewolves have spread among the local residents. Werewolves? Yes. I received this from Paranormal Incident Alert Network about an attack that occurred a few weeks ago. Human footprints and wolf tracks together. Evidence verified <laughs> Sounds like a practical joke. Normally, I wouldn't have you pursue such an unsubstantiated report. I should say not. What do you mean, normally? But there have been continuing reports from this area of the woods. They all seem to suggest the possibility of a werewolf. Dr. Morehouse. I know. You don't think you're the man for this case. Oh, no, it's not that I don't want to go. I'd, I'd love to go. It's it's just a physical impossibility. I have a violent allergy to animals. And yet you work so well with Benedict. So Jonathan heads off to the woods, and he meets up with Benedict. Benedict has actually like bought a jeep and has all kinds of extra equipment, things including skis. He may be padding the expense account. And they end up uh, uh, going to look for a Mr. Corbin, who they've been uh, told by the woman at the gas station knows a lot about uh, the area and the live, not the livestock, the wildlife and the, the wolves. Institute. That's Washington, ain't it? Yeah. You two government guys? 
You come here to protect those poor animals from us dumb country folk who don't know nothing? No, we have no association with the government. Yeah, I'll bet. No, I'm a professor of anthropology, and he's, um, he's Edgar Benedict. And we're looking for uh, certain wolves that were involved in an attack on some campus recently. Do you know where that happened? Sure. But you don't need me for that kind of sightseeing. Just head due north about 16 miles off Highway 32. And you guys be careful. Those wolves like a tourist for dinner every now and again. <laughs> you know, that's a common misconception. Wolves don't kill people, only livestock. But everybody knows werewolves kill people. Oh, and you believe that, huh? Let me tell you something, mister. Wolves kill our livestock and they kill us too when they get the chance. I'm sorry you're so ill-informed about the nature of wolves. I don't know the nature of wolves. I'll show you the nature of wolves, mister. This is their nature, smart government man. And if wolves don't kill people, what the hell were they trying to do to me, huh? I was eyeball to eyeball. And it weren't no werewolf. So the guys set up their campsite without Mr. Corbin. They actually, what happens is they actually go to a, um, uh, they get to the end of that, you know, he says go to the, the, down the road and go north. It's actually called like the Twin Peaks, what is it, the Twin Peaks Valley, North Peak, South Peak. And they decide to go to the South Peak because they think Mr. Corbin is maybe kind of shady. And they set up their camp and everything. And they get attacked by wolves and the wolves tear their tent apart and attack their jeep and um actually rendering it useless for them they're just ruining the jeep basically eating all their food and everything so the guys end up going off and they, they find a house where they're staying and and somewhere in there they find a jeep an old crashed jeep with a wallet in it and they kind of take the wallet out of there and some skeletons in it that have been around since circa 77 or so and they begin um just sort of investigating the area and eventually they see a wolf playing with a little girl. A little girl probably age of 10 or so. I, I have no idea how old she is. I'd say, I'd say 10, 9, 10, 11, something like that. Like, basically like a Lucan wild child kind of girl. And uh, our friend Mr. Corbin shows up. And yeah, he is a, um, I was going to say poacher. But um, they call him a trapper. I know he seems like a jackass to me. And he shoots the wolf that the little girl is playing with. And she kind of goes a little nuts and ends up hurting herself. And Benedict and Jonathan take her back to this cabin house thing in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of like the, the killer's house and don't go in the woods. I'm kidding. But they, he, uh, they, she gets taken back there and they're trying to figure out. They kind of get her to sleep. Well, listen, they're trying to figure out what to do. Listen to this. Tucked her in. Got her to sleep. And the full moon rises. I hope she remembers me kindly. Will you build a fire? Yeah, it's going to get cold. That's great. Take a look at that picture. Right. Right. Well, the jeep? Yeah. Oh, she only looks like she's about two, three years old. That's right. The wolves must have found her and taken care of her. And I've read about some of these cases, but to actually find one, oh, great, isn't it? Think of the merchandising, t-shirts, caps, keychains. No, it's a privilege. Academically, it's a privilege. One of the most famous cases was in France in the 18th century. Francois Truffaut made a movie about it, The Wild Child, did you see? Yeah. My very own. I'm going to publish my own paper on the subject. Okay, pal, you write your paper. I'm going to write me a mini-series about her transformation tonight into a wolf. Benedict, she's a human being. You have to remember that. We have to find ways of, of reaching her. We, we, we've, we've got to communicate with her. Maybe she speaks Spanish. Kidney beans. 
try to make friends with her they try to feed her they try to um uh what is it like kind of like on the hand kind of to a show friendship or you know a kind of thing i'm no expert i'm not i'm not the uh, anthropologist uh but uh they, they try to befriend her and at, at night they all you know kind of bed down she's on the floor and i think uh benedict's on a on a couch and jonathan's on a chair and uh, the wolves show up and kind of sort of free her, basically bursting into the house through windows and things. One of the things we note throughout is that the wolf, sort of the lead wolf, while certainly not a werewolf, has some sort of telepathic connection and with the, between the girl and, and the wolf. I'm going to say him, but, but I'm not sure. But the wolf and the girl, there's some sort of connection where they can see where each other is. And... Um, Basically, it all sort of climaxes. I won't give the ending away. Actually, I will give the ending away in a minute. But it all sort of climaxes where you see Mr. Corbin, that jackball, setting up like traps. I guess wolf traps. And the little girl gets caught in one. And the wolf, the head wolf, has to try to get Benny or and or Jonathan to try to free her from that before Corbin shows up with his guns and starts shooting the hell out of all the wolves. So I will leave it at that. And just say that Curse of the Full Moon is one of my favorite episodes of Shadow Chasers. It's funny because I loved Chorus Stranger. Too. Now there were bits of Chorus Stranger that slightly got to my nerves, but in general, I think it's it's a, it's quite a good uh, episode of Shadow Chasers. But this is this is I think I think is a pretty pretty great one. Um, there are there there the 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 um the, the the things I dislike about it, I think Mr. Corbin is a trapper kind of guy, and he's out there like I I don't know what he's doing like shooting shooting a wolf like what is that I mean is that a hunter kind of, I'm not a hunter I don't know and and the times i've encountered hunters i know i know folks who hunt for food and things like that that's one thing but just like randomly shooting a wolf playing with the little girl i mean i understand like i'm gonna free the little girl but there's no sign that that's what he's going to do he's just shooting the wolf so it's it's kind of mm, i don't know what he's up to there and uh, he seems like a jackass i said he seems like a jackass and and you heard him in that scene with jonathan and benny he's he's not a He's not a nice guy, and setting out all his traps to capture these wolves and things. It's um, I don't like him, and I I think part of me okay, part of me wishes that this episode didn't have to have him in it. I wish they could have taken like one more writers' meeting, and they could have all sat down. Kenneth Johnson, the Long Streets, uh, Marianne and Michael, and they could have just hashed out a way to tell this story without having. Poach, uh, he's not a trapper, poacher, whatever the hell he is, Mr. Corbin, in it. Um, cause it's, um, it's one of those things where you see him in the beginning and you think, okay, he'll appear again. Then you see him with a gun going after the wolf. And you're like, okay, this is going to be some sort of climax with him in it. But you kind of wish more the climax was about them befriending the little girl. Um, now, that is, in, in, spoiler, that is what happens in the end. She does not die. And uh, the, the basically the head wolf kind of the head wolf telepathically sort of shows the little girl what happened how her parents they were all in this jeep crash and her parents died and she came wandering out of the jeep and saw him like across a little the wolf across a little creek and the wolf kind of brought the girl into the fold and it's really a lovely scene and and now she now the wolf is kind of saying hey you know this is getting too much out here um you need to go with 
you're, you're injured. She gets injured. She puts her foot in a, a, the bear wolf trap thing. And, um, and a zombie trap, and she ends up, uh, yeah, going back. Well, well, she doesn't. End. The the it's interesting because the the episode doesn't end with like a scene back in Georgetown where well the little girl is fine, and the the scene ends with they send Mr. Corbin to get his jeep after he's been a jackass, and basically the guys are sitting with the little girl, kind of holding on to her. She's crying because the wolf has left, and that's how it ends. Which is an interesting spot to end it, because obviously we're never going to see the little girl again. Maybe if there was a second season, there would be a, an episode with the little girl. Hey, maybe the baby that Cora gives birth to in the previous episode meets up with the little girl, and they have some sort of strange wolf-alien babies in season two or three. I don't know. I'm, I'm spitballing here. But... Yeah. So, uh, what was I saying? Um, yeah. So I don't particularly like the poacher character. He's almost, he's kind of too obvious for me, but I understand why they have him in there. Um, because the thing is like the wolves attacking the house and leaping through it. That's the thing. Like they're not werewolves. And yet one of them leaps through a huge window, glass flying everywhere. And there's no sign of blood or cuts or anything like that. So the, the title is wonderfully misleading because there is a full moon during this episode but there's no curse on it it's a complete lie to make you think it's a werewolf thing and there's no werewolf stuff at all but there is sort of the element of the telepathy between the girl and the wolf and in the end there's a great one where benedict begins to see the telepathy between um the wolf and benedict it almost reminds me of and jonathan doesn't see it almost reminds me of um there's a great Phil Harris and Alice Faye radio program from, I think, like 1948 or so, a Christmas episode, where uh, Jack Benny uh, pretends to be Santa Claus for, for um, Alice and Phil's kids. But then at the end of the episode, Santa himself shows up. And you, you, you learn that um, Santa can only be seen by kids or the young at heart. And so like this goofy guy who's in Phil Harris's band sees Santa and talks to Santa. And the girls talk to Santa. And they have a nice chat with Santa. But we never hear or see Santa. Oh, it's a radio show. But we never hear Santa. And Phil and Alice don't hear Santa. And it's sort of like only certain people get to see it. It's really a lovely scene and this is kind of like that too where for some reason benedict with his beowulf hat on which is i found pretty funny um he can see what the 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 wolf like what the wolf kind of calls him to kind of leaps on him and calls him to help the little girl when she gets her foot caught in the trap and then possibly my favorite benny moment when he's trying to get her out of the trap but it's not like um it's not like a trap that you could just pull apart there's like a something you got to do to it and if you don't know how to do it you can't get it apart and he's he's kind of like hurting the girl trying to get her apart and he just turns to the wolf and says you know like i, I can't do this i need someone else and then jonathan is called in and then corbin shows up with his gun and i love it because jonathan decks corbin and just keep punching him <laughs> hitting him and and just gets it's great jonathan jonathan at his finest here once he <laughs> that's another thing there's a bit too as you heard in that clip I was like, we're gonna, I'm going to study her. I'm going to do a mini-series about her. Knock it off, guys. Just help her. Help her first. And eventually they do. But there is a bit of... Uh, there's a bit... Slightly maybe too much of that. So, so yeah. The, so, the things that I'm not thrilled with are Mr. Corbin, who is fine in the end. Um, I do wonder... They don't show him coming back with a Jeep. So, I'm wondering if he just runs out to his Jeep and takes off and leaves them stranded there. That... that I would like the little closure on that. Um... And two, there is a bit, uh, there is a bit too much when they're trying to help the little girl. They they, they do a few things that are um, a bit too on the side of like, guys, come on, don't do that, 
don't do that. Have you never approached a dog or a cat or something that didn't want to see you, but maybe did, you know, kind of thing? You're doing it wrong. Um, they get it eventually. And in the end, everything seems to be okay. And in fact, the second time I watched this, right before, before talking about it here, actually uh, during the final sequence, when they shoot Mr. Corbin away and the, and the wolf shows her how, her how they found her and it ends in the freeze frame, I actually had a tear in my eye. And, and here's the thing. As much as I may have gone, ooh, this episode of Shadow Chasers isn't a favorite. Oh, this one's a little iffy, that kind of thing. Here's the thing. I get up to episode 11, and I got a tear in my eye. Look, look at me, um, what was it, at the end of episode 9 of Cliffhangers? Uh, when I was just like, just like, oh my god. And it was just like, uh, you remember that way back in episode 9? Um, just staring me up hearing it. And this this was the same sort of thing, you know, um just just at this point it's like they're they're a great team jonathan and benny are a great team and they're helping this little girl and the wolf is sort of allowing them to help and they and jonathan kind of like decking corbin and punching him and it's, it's just so good <laughs> it's very satisfying although you know i don't i'm not i'm not enamored of that character but but that's very satisfying and just literally at the end i had tears in my eyes tears rolling uh, a couple of tears rolling down my cheeks you know at the end there because it was like it's a lovely ending and i think even for, even for a show that only ran 13 episodes, it's a lovely ending. and It's a nice way to... I mean, we still have two more episodes left. I will be honest, I don't remember what happens in the next episode at all, but I do remember what happens in the 13th one, and I think you might be surprised. And this one is great. I, lo- I, th- I think the thing I love about it is, like, apart from Dr. Morehouse, in the brief scene at the beginning, which you heard, that was the entirety... Uh, no, actually, I cut off that scene. But there's about 30 more seconds of that scene. Apart from Dr. Morehouse at the beginning, the only humans in this are Jonathan, Benny, the little girl, and Mr. Corbin. Literally, that's it. Four people. The little girl is excellent. Mr. Corbin is a sleazeball. And it's, it's just literally, it's the four of them. There are no extraneous plots. There are no cops who show up and give them grief. There are no weird people should do this, that, and the other. It's... I'm just watching Jonathan slap the crap out of Corbin right now. He's Corbin's a puss when he comes when he's confronted. Even though he's bigger than both of them, but Jonathan, when Jonathan gets angry, even with an ascot, he gets. I mean, maybe that's it. Like you don't expect someone with an ascot to get that angry, and when someone with an ascot gets angry, watch your ass, man. Watch your ass. I think it's a great episode, and like I said, it's a great episode because it's very straightforward. Um, they're investigating werewolves, nothing of the sort. They go there, they discover this little girl, they try to rescue her, they get in some trouble, they rescue her. Boom. Very straightforward. And, and um, like, almost su- surprisingly, almost not almost surprisingly, but surprisingly very straightforward, good storytelling in the first third or so before they discover the little girl there's some great jokes and benedict is being goofy as always and it kind of as i said because you don't when when the when that couple looks out and goes oh they look down when the wolves are uh, surrounding their trailer and they look down and go oh god you have no concept of what that might be and and immediately it's werewolves where we're where where we're where we are we are wolves um, we are wolves <sighs> that's that's a good name for something let's do that we are wolves and 
you you have I don't think you really have any concept because they go oh god and then werewolves and so you think oh my gosh it's some sort of werewolf but oh we saw werewolves were werewolves not werewolves they were wolves and um and the little girl uh is great in this and the little little girl he's <laughs> well, the first time is adorable and um uh and it's it's just really nicely done and then um I'm going to stop saying that. I'm going to stop saying that. You should. You should. Well, this, the 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 tricky thing with the episode, in the same way that Cliffhangers episode nine is great, especially uh, specifically the Cursed Dracula segment. That's the one where um, is it Mary's mom is in the coffin begging Mary to kill her, and Dracula is storming into the tomb saying, "Please, Mary, don't kill your mother," and that's that's where it ends, and that's the first episode after. After nine episodes, three segments an episode, where at the at the freeze frame of each, you get three questions. It's like, will this person fall down a pit? Will this person get eaten by a lion? And what is the purpose of the? You know, this is the only. This is the one. This is the first and only one. Oh, maybe the next, the last episode has some. But this this is the first one where they only ask one question, and it's just very powerful. And it's powerful because you've seen the other episodes. Just watching this episode without any shadow chasers context you're probably gonna go mm, that was all right i thought it was maybe a little dull and whatever and the the poacher trapper guy didn't really do much and why does why does it end like that but um 11 episodes in i think it's quite a powerful episode and i think it works really well um i'm hoping here's here's the thing like the thing that's breaking my heart is that two of my favorite episodes so far have been the first two that were only on the Armed Forces Network. I would have loved to have had Chorus Stranger and Curse of the Full Moon replace a couple of the episodes that aired on the network. I'm trying to think. Maybe How Green Was My Valley? Eh, maybe The Spirit of St. Louis? I don't know. Um, but, oh, you know what? Maybe the um, the one with the um, organ transplants? Mm. Or maybe the one with Catherine Lee Scott and the the um, Wizardress. Mm. But I just think these are two pretty great episodes. Uh, this one and Chorus Stranger. I, I'm I'm fairly certain. I know. I I feel in my heart that the last one, um, which I won't say the title of now because I've forgotten it. I'll, I I won't say. It, um, is excellent. And I think I can't remember the next one at all. But I think it's pretty darn good. So yeah, Curse of the Full Moon. Thumbs up great episode of shadow chasers i've got one more little caveat and then we will go on to auto man episode four yeah no three where are we on auto man i don't even remember three we're on three right yes okay auto man so i've got one more uh caveat and then we will go on to auto man episode three i believe and this is um this is actually just something that that happened uh, a few weeks ago i was raised by wolves no um and i know what you're thinking damn when are you gonna cover lucan i'll cover lucan eventually why don't you give me a flipping break um i gotta get amanda back on here to talk lucan if anyone's gonna talk lucan it'll be it'll be um it'll be amanda and myself but caveat is this so about a week ago and this is early august 2020 i finished watching after starting this in about five years before in uh, 2015 oh 2015 <laughs> glory days um i started um 
Mary Hart and Mary Hartman. Was it the and the thirty eight DVD I think um, Shout Factory set, uh, and I started watching it, and there are three hundred and twenty five half hour episodes because it was a soap opera style. It was on five times a week Monday through Friday, and about a week ago I finished uh, Mary Hart and Mary Hartman. Now what happens is that ends, and then the next week Fernwood Tonight, the hilarious talk show parody with Martin Mull and Fred Willard begins. That runs for 13 weeks. Then we get Fernwood Forever, which is Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman without Mary. That goes on for, I think, like 26 weeks. And then the summer of 78, we get America Tonight, which is the follow-up to Fernwood Tonight. But Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, you get, um, there's the couple, is it Charlie and Loretta Hager's? Uh, the very southern fried couple who live next door to the Hartmans. And Charlie is an older gentleman, and he's balding, and he has a big mustache, and he works at the plant with Tom Hartman. And Loretta is younger and cuter, and Mary Kay, she's Mary Kay Place, and um, writer and actress. And uh, this is around the time, I think she wrote several MASH episodes, if I remember correctly. And she plays Loretta, who's an aspiring country music starlet, and um, always singing her songs and, and all sorts of things. And there's a plot line in it, because it's a soap opera, there's a plot line in it. I don't know where it starts, probably around, I think it's before episode 300. But it, it basically, it seems like Bigfoot is lurking outside their house. And then one day, um, they open up their front door, and there's a little boy there, basically a little wild child, who's crazy, and he makes lots of noises, and he runs around the house, and he acts like the little girl in this episode. And, you know, it's obviously, you know, uh, uh, Jonathan mentions Truffaut. This is, a, this is I mentioned Lucan. This is a, a plot line that has popped up in numerous places. And the interesting thing about this plot line is that they, they spend several weeks trying to adopt the boy, trying to sort of civilize the best they can the boy. They get him involved with the doctor, I think it was actually a vet who who takes the boy and like puts him in like an obedience school and makes him almost into like the way you talk to like a puppy or a dog. You know, like sit and the boy's terrified. If he doesn't sit, you know, you give him a, give him a slap kind of thing. And, and uh, Loretta and Charlie don't want that. In the end, what Loretta and Charlie do, so so in the, in the Shadow Chasers, at the end, the wolf says, take her back into civilization, bring her back to the place where her parents came from, uh, heal her because her, her ankle is, is damaged from, the, from the, um, the trap and make her better and be, be the best you can. And, but the joy of Mary Hart and Mary Hartnam is that that plot line ends and it ends with MHMH. This could continue into Fernwood Forever, which I've never seen, but about mm, five, ten episodes before the end of Mary Hart and Mary Hartman, they basically take this little wild child boy into the middle of the woods in the middle of the night, set him down, and he's like sitting at a campfire playing, and they run off. And it sort of ends with them like hiding in the distance behind a tree looking as like a POV camera way up in the air looks down at the boy and the boy looks up at the camera, presumably Bigfoot. And then it kind of like, I think it fades out or it cuts back to Charlie and Loretta looking, but that's the last we see the little boy. In Shadow Chasers, it's please try to bring the girl back into civilization. In Mary Hardman, Mary Hardman, it's we tried 
Now we're going to give him back to Bigfoot. And I'd love it if maybe in Fernwood forever, if there was a sequence like where Loretta was at like a supermarket or something and happened to like see a little boy with like a couple and realize, oh my gosh, that's our boy. Big, like maybe Bigfoot took him to another house. You know, he was like, mm, this house didn't work. I'll take him there. But it's a great plot line. And Mary Hard, Mary Hard is an incredible show. First season is the best, but the second season is an absolute joy. And I'm hoping someone will find me a copy of Fernwood Forever because I would like to watch that. But but it's funny. I, I um, A lot of wild child kind of things. One by Bigfoot, one by Wolves. But same variation, I guess. So um, I actually didn't think when they like left him in the woods and ran off, I thought, are they really doing this? We're giving him back to Bigfoot. I thought that was very funny. So And possibly if you are watching the 325 episodes in a row and maybe like at episode 180 you're gonna like Dan you spoiled that for me you son of a (sighs) you'll be alright so that yeah that's Shadow Chases 11 thanks everyone for listening I think it's it's a pretty great episode next up is um jeez I forget is it Blood and Magnolias I think I said that last time I think that's the episode that's up next number 12 but um uh but next up here Auto Man listen Man episode 3, December 29th, 1983. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Directed by Kim Manners. Hooray! Written by Sam Egan. Uh, great pretender in this one. Uh, 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 um, a load of paper, truckload of paper, um, pr- money printing paper the government uses is hijacked. And we meet Clue Gulliger, who's some kind of shady guy who may or may not be using this money to... Um, print some counterfeit uh, stuff. Uh, Clue is about to get married to like a senator's daughter or something like that and he has a big like um, gangster network going throughout the city and Auto Man and um, uh, Walter um, decide with the help of, of Cursor and all of Auto Man's tricks to make Auto Man into Mr. Auto. They show Auto Man a bunch of gangster movies, and he's going to be like a gangster, and over the course of several days before the wedding, he goes to a all the, all the connections that Clue Gulliger's character has, because he sent him this big thing with all this counterfeit money, and all the connections and places that Clue Gulliger is involved with to try to undermine him and ruin what he's doing, kind of thing, where it's like, Oh, um, yes, this is Mr. Otto. Yes, I'm Mr. Otto. Do you deal with Clue Gulliger? That's not his character's name. Do you deal with Clue Gulliger? Yes, he gives me stolen cars when I want them. Well, I can give them fast to you faster. How much faster? Uh, how about in 10 minutes? Okay, and of course, Auto Man creates a fake car, and the guy's like, all right, you have my business now. And they kind of spend several days, maybe like a week, as the wedding is approaching, basically dismantling Clue Gulliger's network. So by the time it gets to his wedding... Everything is going to be in the pooper um, and uh, just really junky for him. And it's, 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 
Chris and I go into it into into detail, but it's it's basically trying to just it's a variation of like that masquerade episode where the gang shows up to try to um, is it Oliver Reed to try to make Oliver Reed's um, Russian KGB guy who defected to the U.S. but is now affecting defecting back to so, the Soviets to make him look bad. This is kind of like they're trying to make this gangster um, criminal look bad to kind of ruin his chances of being a big jerk. Yeah, that works. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's the basics behind this episode. Chris and I will go into detail. Listen to this. We're on the other side. The Great Pretender. Ooh. <laughs> I can't do it today, folks, because we're still having some internet issues between Kristen and myself here, unfortunately. So hopefully we're, we, everything is sounding okay and you guys are, are having a good time. We are on the third, the third episode of Auto Man. You just heard a little plot breakdown here. And I am here with the great, the wonderful Kiki Wrights, a.k.a. Kristen Hawes. Kristen, how are you? I am so excited for Clue Gulliger. As I should be. How are yeah. you, Dan? I'm doing okay. I, I want to let, let let's dive right in here. Since as it's, as as we we mentioned in our previous episode, we were having internet issues. We we kind of still are. So I'm just gonna cut through the niceties, and I just want to know what you what you thought of the Great Pretender. I kind of like this episode. Like I said, Clue Gulliger alert. We have Clue Gulliger. It's gonna be a great episode because you have him. The plot basically. When I wa- first watched this episode was just my the way my brain interpreted it was Clue Gulliger is stealing p- paper so he can print money to pay for his wedding. And that's really that just kind of sums it up for me. What did you think of the episode, Dan? I, you know, I like the episode. I, I don't think I liked it as much as the previous one. And I'm not sure why that is. It's directed by Kim Manners, who directed over like 50 episodes of The X-Files. And he's a very good, very good director. Um, but... I, I I don't know why I didn't love this episode. I mean, obviously, Clue Gulliger is wonderful. I, I think part of what it is, is for some reason, and I, I just had this thought as I was watching it, there's, there's so, so much of the episode is made up of Auto Man and Walter going to assorted places and taking, what I forget, what is it, Brock, Clue Gulliger's character Brock, taking over, um, you know, bits, of, you know, like the, all the business he's got, the sort of mobby, underhanded business he got, it's, it's, it's them going there and kind of taking it over, you know, Mr. Otto and, and Walter there. And that's what a lot of the episode is. There was a point in there, forgive me if I'm wrong, There, there is a montage, I believe at one point, when they're doing this. And then they say somewhere in there something like, um, you know, you've done more... Uh, you've you've done more to ruin his business in a. I think a gangster says this to them. Something like you've done more in a week to ruin his business than anyone's done in years. And for a split second, I thought it's kind of felt like a week. And then I I thought is the pacing off on this episode? I don't know what it is, but I like the episode, but I don't love it. I think there's some, I love the moment in the end with the helicopter, which is in the opening credits. I think that's a cool moment where he uses, Auto Man uses all of his power to stop a dangling Clue Gulliger from getting away. I don't know how far Clue Gulliger was going to go. If you've, if you've seen the opening credits, you'll, it's, there's, there's a sequence with a guy dangling from a helicopter, like from his knees. And that's Clue Gulliger, folks, doing that. So just think about that for a second. How long is he going to last up there? Probably not long. And Auto Man brings him down. It, the episode has, has a lot of charm. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I just think, 
when you the deeper you get into it and the more it becomes okay now they're going to this place and doing this again and now they're going to this place and doing it again it, it got a little too repetitive for me and i was kind of hoping for the ending a little quicker not not in a not in a bad way i think it's just the sort of a misjudging of something i'm not sure if it's the if it's the the script or the editing or the or the direction but something's just a little off for me but not in a bad way well i think it's funny that you to point that out because the the montage of them well it's not really a montage but the scenes of them going through and dismantling brock's business while they're undercover as mr otto and his associate walter I could probably watch that all day. I just was <laughs> so entertained well, by them go. going through and and going after guy after guy after guy. And then we get back to the, the the plot that, oh, yeah, we have to stop Brock the counterfeiter. And I'm like, oh, yeah, right, we're doing that. <laughs> like, I, could, I guess I could watch a whole episode of Maybe. them just as a hobby, dismantling yes. different crime syndicates. Maybe that's what I wanted. For me, it was, yeah. for, for me, it was fun. Okay. Yeah, I think maybe that's what I wanted. Maybe I really did. And and then every time it cut to either like someone kind of reminding them of what was going on or Clue Gulliger planning his wedding. I just kept thinking, why not more scenes with Mr. Otto? And and that so that could that could have been it. Maybe maybe that's my pacing issue. Is it's not that it's it's that there 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 wasn't enough of that. And I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I guess I'd need to watch it one more time because I didn't, I didn't quite get it fully. But, um, but no, I like that idea that they should just do an episode, which is a two-parter and like, or a three-parter. And the second part would be nothing but them doing this. Just give them one full 50-minute episode. Oh, I would love that episode. That would be my favorite episode <laughs> if we just had that. I think, I think it would be a lot of people's favorite episode. Um, uh, what, what else do you have? I'm, um, I, I, I do like the, the feel with um, uh, the, the interesting sort of feel in the dynamic between like uh, uh, Mr. Otto and, and Walter out there like in the middle of the night um, with all these shady people. And then every time it cuts to Clue Gulliger, he's in this beautiful mansion with this like lake behind him. And it always seems to be the middle of the day. And so there's this kind of are these are these things running these scenes running concurrently or is is there you know is like the or are they not i there's kind of a nice contrast between those two i have no idea the <laughs> i don't i actually don't even think about time when i watch this episode because i think it would give me a nosebleed to try to figure out the timeline I just kind of let it ride. Oh, and Michael Michael Pataki shows up in this episode. And whenever you've got Michael Pataki and Clue Gulliger in an episode, get out of here. Oh, yeah. That's jackpot right there. Plus, did you know notice who um, Michael Pataki was? Because they had to play him for pool so he could talk to Mr. Otto, could talk to a guy named Zach. Did you recognize who played Zach? He looked familiar. Okay, so Zach was played by Clint Emick or Image. Uh, who was Mr. Garrett in Halloween 2, and uh, Michael Pataki was in Halloween 4. You know what? I haven't watched Halloween 2 or 4 in ages. Usually I watch 1 and 3 every Halloween. I have 2 nearby, but I haven't watched it in a while. Act, uh, Halloween 4 was actually on TV yesterday, so I ended oh. up watching it. Wow. Yeah, I remember. I do. I do remember going to see that in the theater. It was weird when I went to see it in the theater, like opening weekend. I think I snuck in, uh, sneaked in, um, 
uh, and I remember um, I remember having a great time, but then sort of seeing it on home video like a year later, I didn't enjoy it as much. How 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 did it hold up? What did you think of it? Oh, I I like Halloween four, but the only the only Halloween movie I really don't like is Halloween Resurrection, and it doesn't exist to me because it's garbage. <laughs> I've, I've seen it once right around when it came out uh, on video, and I don't really remember it, so I, I guess I didn't like it. This is for a Halloween cast, by the way, folks. <laughs> That's coming up next. Next. Um, so uh, one thing I want to mention is that I don't know if this is going to change as the show goes along, but um, that when automat in the pilot we got the that little intro um where automat explains the, sort of the, the background of everything but then we also get the credits and in the past in the second episode and this episode we get the credits and then we get the explanation which means the ap- actual episode doesn't start until like three and a half minutes in um which is I mean, when the episode starts, you know exactly what's going on, so there's no worry about sort of being left behind. But boy, three and a half minutes before you get to the the the, the actual thing beginning is is a lot of time. And oh, and uh, and then um, and then I'm going to ask you again, Kristen, uh, what else you have? But I want to say that there is a Chevrolet dealership that Auto Man's car passes by at least twice an episode. I think I could be wrong on that, but. Um, I'll leave, I'll leave it. I'll leave it hanging there. What else do you have on this one? Clue Gulliger's wedding. I just want to mention that first of all, it's a, it's a very '80s wedding, and for some reason, I kept thinking it was taking place in Texas, and I don't know why. I'm like they're in LA, but my brain kept saying, "Oh no, this is like Dallas," mm. and I can't. I don't know. I think it was the Yellow Roses, mm. but his bride there, who I don't remember her name, um, mm. is the daughter of a former congressman. And she, she says at one point that she's marrying the most wonderful man in the world, which is true because it's Clue Gulliger. But she is hearing rumors that he's got some a shady past. They won't cash a check at the bank for her that he wrote her. And she keeps having to tell her dad that he's in different businesses because she's not sure what he does. (laughs) How are any of these things not red flags? Why are you still marrying this person? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I love the, um, the, there's just the the first thought that went through my head during the, during the scene with, um, I'm hearing these rumors. Um, you haven't been involved in anything. Have you Brock? Well, she doesn't call him Brock. Um, uh, no, of course not. As a businessman, you know, you get involved in a lot of different things. You always make some enemies. And she, and that's when she says, I am marrying the most wonderful man in the world. And then there was a pause, and I just thought, are you calling this off? What's going on? And then I said, oh, that's me. You're talking about me. <laughs> oh, thank you, dear. Thank you. You're you're very sweet. It's you got to love Clue. Clue every step of the way. I would have loved it if Clue Gulliger and Michael Pataki had a scene together. That would have been nice. But you can't have it all. Yeah. In this one, even though, um, and I'm not going to dwell on Roxanne for this one because we have the past two. But in the previous episode, Auto Man and Walter saved her life from an, in a kid during a kidnapping. But in this one, she acts like she's completely forgotten all of that. She's right back to where she was before, and it's really, I'm just going to say, it's annoying. And we're going to carry on. Yes, because she's a goldfish and she can't remember that yeah. Auto Man totally saved her butt in the 
previous episode, so she's going to go tell the captain about this now. My gosh, just go elsewhere, Roxanne, please. <laughs> I think this is, I'm, I'm trying to think what my favorite Clue Gulliger is. I don't know that I have a favorite. Oh. Uh, he's great, of course, in Return of the Living Dead. I do like him in, um, was the, the TV movie San Francisco International, where he plays like the head of security at the San Francisco International Airport. He's got so he's got too many roles where he's good. I'm 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 not going to be able to think of just one or two or three. Yeah, for me it's a tie between probably Return of the Living Dead and Nightmare on Elm Street 2 cuz you don't mm. expect him to be in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie yeah. and yet there he is. And it's I I love it, it's so you know again I I don't know that this is you you're really spoiling a Glenn A Larson thing. This isn't really a mystery or anything, but in the final uh, yeah, in in the final scene when they um, kind of the jig is up at the wedding and uh, they have to run away with these boxes of fake money that they printed. There is a great moment where he he has to I, f- I forget exactly how he words it, but he has to say like he has to like cancel the wedding and it's it's I I, I didn't write down the what he says, but it's kind of rather amusing when he says not right now we can't we got to call it off dear we can't get married right now and then he winds up on the plane hanging from it and fake money is blowing around everywhere and it's a it's a hoot it is yeah because because somebody interrupts the wedding the one of the his guys interrupts the wedding when the cops are coming and the priest like he runs off to go start the helicopter and the preacher's like you know can we continue and he's like so do you take whatever her name is and she's like no not right now i'll explain <laughs> later and just runs yes <laughs> and leaves her with her bridesmaids in their hideous dresses Yes, <laughs> yes. Let's see, uh, they do uh, go into another casino in this one. So that's two casinos in three episodes. They, do they go to a casino in the first one? I've forgotten. I don't think so. Do they? No. That was the that was the everlasting work conference. There was no casinos there. Yes. There were girls in bikinis, but, but no casinos. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, what, what else do you have on this one? I do I, – I, I will just say I do like when Auto Man – um, interacts with other like computer systems like here when he lets the um, he, he interacts where they're trying to get into this casino and he interacts with like the computer that controls like the entrance and he says well there's a rather flirty computer here and I think I can get us in and there's a great moment in the um, the previous episode where he like talks to the like the slot machines uh, to get them to kind of go a little wacky for him which I think is uh, I think is quite nice everybody likes Auto Man why yeah everybody likes auto man yeah what's not to like Mm -hmm. i do love though that he was like the with this flirty clearance uh thing with the security thing he was like yeah i'll whisper i'll whisper sweet nothings into her clearance file i had to go get some pearls to clutch that's just scandalous (laughs) right there that's that's just downright naughty (laughs) how did glennie larson let that through he, well, he had three other shows going on at the same time. There's no way he could monitor every it, line. It, oh, please. No, <laughs> no. It, it, it just it, it colors my view of Ottoman. Well, well, well. To be to be honest, you know, he was kind of badass. He was very much in character as a mobster because he'd been watching mob films at the beginning uh-huh. of the episode, gangster movies, mm-hmm. and he did a Marlon Brando impersonation at one point. But and he did a Humphrey Bogart impression, impression too, I think. So he was very, you know, in character, and he was quite badass. I mean, we should watch this episode and go, well, thank goodness he ch- Walter chose to pro- ha- program him for the side of good because he would be a really, really good bad guy. 
definitely he's he's got all the he's got the suave and you just he's he's very charming you know i'm i'm wondering i i read up a bit on the uh on the actor who plays him and i didn't realize he's a big like um he's like a musical theatery guy i didn't i didn't realize that he's on the um he is on the um he was in the original touring production of a sondheim's into the woods he played rapunzel's prince and apparently on the soundtrack, which my wife has around here somewhere, he, he's singing on it. He doesn't sing about, like, Walter, where are you? Let's go on adventures. I don't know what he's, he's singing to Rapunzel. Something completely different. But I'm wondering if he is going to sing at some point. He should, right? Because you think it's in great. He's Auto Man. You know, I can't remember if he does sing in the series. But now I'm really hoping for that because I had no idea he did musical theater. That's wonderful. I love that. You don't expect that from him. Because he yeah. looks like a six foot four blonde football player. Yes, yes, he looks sort of like um, what like is it Sam Jones who played was Flash Gordon there? He looks he has kind of that, but a bit more um, I don't know, a bit more charm. I don't know. That's that's I, I guess because I'm just watching uh, Auto Man dressed in his tux right now, driving around with Walter, and poor Walter, he never looks as good as Auto Man. But what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Oh, I do have a question for you. Yes. In the very beginning, because we see um, Clue Gulliger's goons end up hijacking the truck that's carrying the paper that is used to, to print money. Yes. What route were they taking? What dirt road were they going down? Because it looked like they were they were taking that through the absolute back roads of, of Los Angeles, I guess. I don't know. But they were in the middle of nowhere, yeah. down, going down a dirt road with this semi. Yeah, it's. I, I've got a plane right now. I got a plane right now, and I'm just kind of scanning over it to see. I don't know where it is. It's funny. It's kind of a weird scene because um, there there a lot of stuff happens, and the closer you get to the end of it, the more sort of frenetic the editing becomes. So it almost becomes when the scene ends and it cuts to the next day and, you know, the chief is yelling at Walter. It's it, it, The first time I watched that scene on the road, I was like, what did I just see? I saw some trucks. And then I think a, a guy with a gun was there. A hell, what just happened? I don't know where that is. I mean, there. Yeah, that's I mean, that's some truck route that I don't know about, I guess. I, you know, I, I haven't been on a lot of the truck routes on the freeways. So there might be, um, yeah, someplace. I don't think this is a road BJ and or the bear would have taken but maybe they would have i don't know but yeah this is in the middle of nowhere it looks like yeah uh so um what else do you have on this one i think i think i'm i'm done i mean the chief does his normal stuff and roxanne does her normal stuff auto man is charming and um all that stuff with them going to all the places is either goes on a little too long is the best thing ever doesn't go on long enough it's all up in the air what what else do you, do you have anything else on this one? any background or or, or trivia well, I have one more little one more little note before I have one thing on trivia. So the one thing I wanted to bring up is that they actually uh, try to kill Auto Man and Walter like twice. They try mm. to run him over at one point, and then but they also try to blow him up with a car bomb in a taxi. Yes. And I actually thought that was really kind of cool because the cab the cabbie stops is like, oh, I have to get some change, and Walter's like, what is he talking about? I haven't given any money, mm. and then. Auto Man senses a, t a computer chip. There's a timing device, and they can't get out because I guess that cab had child locks on the doors. <laughs> and so they merge at the last second, and the cab blows up. And then there's poor Auto Man with his 
his uh, like blown apart suit. Mm-hmm. So you can see like part of the Auto Man under the blue Tron stuff underneath of it, and it's all in tatters. And he and Walter's like, you know, oh man, you saved my life. And Auto Man's like, but they ruined my suit. And he's just <laughs> so sad about that. Yes, yes, yes. I I think I I meant to look this up, but I couldn't find my discs. But I think that a uh, a chunk of that scene, um, with the the cab and the bomb in the cab is actually from Manimal. I I because I was watching and I thought this looks very familiar. And then there's a moment where you see like not not quite a long shot, but you see kind of like the cab driver leaving the cab and kind of going around the cab, and you could see people in the car. And whoever it is who's sitting in Auto Man's place is like dressed in like a blue suit, but Auto Man is like a black suit on like a t- or tux or something like that. So I was watching, and I was thinking. I think that scene is from an episode of Manimal where um, Manimal and Melody Anderson's character are like coming home from something. Is there an episode of Manimal that involves a magician? There might be. And they're coming home from somewhere and they're sharing a cab and then someone tries to blow up the cab. I I could be wrong on that. I, I completely... Here's what I'll do, folks. If, if Listen to this episode here before you get before this episode ends, however you listen to this, I will check Manimal to see if that scene was in Manimal. I'm fairly certain a portion of it, they reused the port, the explosion and the, and the cabbie and that kind of thing, but it could be wrong. Uh, so what's, what's your trivia? Oh, okay. So I do want to say, though, if they did reuse that for Manimal, is that like laziness or just really budget conscious and smart? I'm not sure if if he had if he had four shows going at once and none of them were really taking off. It could have been just like, hey, we want to do this, and it was like, well, no one watched Manimal except for Dan Budnick, and uh, he's not going to watch Auto Man, and so we'll just use this scene again. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder. Yeah, it's. I mean, I would have thought just budget conscious, probably. Well. I'm off for saving money, so good job, Glenn A. Larson. Okay, my one bit of trivia I have for this episode is just when I like – I go through usually and look at the guest cast and see if they were in any, anything interesting. And, of course, we've already talked about Clue Guler and Michael Pataki and, and um, Clint Emick or Emich. I don't know how to pronounce it. But one thing I noticed is that multiple actors in this episode were in episodes of Ellery Queen. Let's see, well, yeah, yeah, definitely. Either big, uh, yeah. big roles like Clue Gulliger was in one. I know the guy. I don't know Kevin Mayhew. I don't even know which character that was. Mm-hmm. Michael Callan is the actor. He was in an episode. There's a couple other ones that had like small roles in there. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the the late the. Lauren. That's the that was the potential wife's name. Her name was Lauren. Okay. She was in an episode of Ellery Queen. One of the one of the one of the hoodlums was in it. It was in an episode. So there was just like like five or six actors in this episode that ended up in Ellery Queen. I can't say enough good things about Ellery Queen, folks. You know that. This fantastic show. Covered covered some time ago by me and my sweet <laughs> wife. But I didn't know that. Yeah, that's gosh, you know, I haven't actually watched that show since we finished um our discussion of it. I need to watch it again. All right. What else? What else do you? Uh, what else do you? Do you have anything else on this one? Or are you? I, I think I'm all set on this one. You know what? I think I'm good on this one. Cool. All right. Excellent. So yeah, it's it's a fun episode. Um, it's it's got its charms. I thought it lagged a little bit, but you know, obviously, as as Kristen said, she thought it could have gone on for another eight hours, and it would have been brilliant. So um, that's the Great Pretender episode three. 
Episode three of Auto Man. And Kristen, where, where can we find you online? You can find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. It is the home of my podcast, Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five-O podcast. Do come and listen. We have a good time. Dan's been on an episode. It was wonderful. Um, I hope to have him back because I'm doing getting ready to do season two. Yeah, I had a great time uh, on, on, on uh, your podcast. Uh, it was great. I, I've been really enjoying the Hawaii Five-O. I've watched. I'm, I, I need to watch more. Thank you again for joining me. And uh, next up is uh, I don't know what's next. What's the next episode? It it is ships in the night. Oh boy. So that is Auto Man episode three, The Great Pretender. And I am actually going to uh, let you listen to this, and I'm going to go find my Manimal DVDs, and I'll get back to you shortly. Talk to you soon. Bump bump. Sorry, I misplaced my Ellery Queen blast right there. I'm trying to wrap this up. I'm, try- I'm trying to keep the episodes under a certain length of time, and I'm not always succeeding. So this is Adventure Super Train 92. I'm glad you guys uh, have listened. I hope th- that you enjoyed the heck out of it. We'll be back next time. Tim will be back. Kristen will be back. I'll be back. It'll be great. Addy Super Train 1 on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Adventure Super Train, AdventureSuperTrain.blogspot.com. It's all great. Let me play you a little bit of this, and we will talk to you next time. Get along, you. Get along. Hey, hey. Oh, stop, look out, Manimal, episode 2, the first, uh, the 60-minute episodes, the one aired October 14th, 1983, Illusion. In that episode, uh, Jonathan and um, Brooke are coming back from some sort of uh, uh, illusionary, Black's Magic, magician-y type thing, and their taxi is blown up. And that's the sequence that is reused in Auto Man. If you guys remember, that is the episode back when Charlie and I discussed it so long ago. That's the one with Richard Lynch and the diplomatic community. So yes, that exploding taxi sequence, whatever the heck is going on from Auto Man, was used previously in Manimal. Go to bed, everybody. We'll be back.